let's move. We usually start with uh, just and and looking around. I, I I think I see we we know most people and most people know us. Uh, so not not too many new faces, but but we usually do just kind of go around and uh, uh, introduce ourselves so that uh, everyone knows who we are and, and uh, a little bit of background. Um, and and I'll, I'll start and then pass it to Dana. Usually we identify the next person if we can. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm one of the co-chairs uh, along with Dana uh, of the forum. Uh, Mark Fitzgerald uh, in my practice in Boston, now in Massachusetts out of my house is uh, with Wilson, Sonsini, Goodrich, and Rosati. Um, I'm a corporate uh, and securities partner. Dana. All right, hi, I'm Dana Montalto. I am a clinical instructor at the Veterans Legal Clinic at the Legal Services Center of Harvard Law School and co-chairing the committee this uh, year with Mark. And I will turn it over to Angie. Hi everyone, I'm Angie Vargas. I am the pro bono director at Veterans Legal Services and I'm co-chair of the subcommittee on pro bono uh, here in this, in this forum. I'm happy to be here. I will pass it on to uh, Mai Chai. Hi everyone, I'm Mai Chai Snape. Um, I am an Assistant Attorney General in the Consumer Protection Division of the Massachusetts Attorney General's Office. Um, I've been working with the committee for the last two years, so this is my second year, and I am co-chair with Angie for um, our Public Service Committee. Um, and unfortunately, I'm on my phone, so I cannot see the list of participants uh, to choose someone to pass it along to. So good luck. Uh, all right, I will, I, I will choose for you, Maitai. Um, Michelle, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure, I'm also on my phone, um, but uh, I'm glad to see everybody. I am a solo practitioner and I represent veterans in their disability benefits appeals. And I've been a member of the committee for several years and I'm uh, glad to see some familiar faces and some new ones. So I will pass it on to uh, Jack. Jack Regan, uh, I work with Dana at the Veterans Legal Clinic and the Legal Services Center at Harvard Law School. And uh, spent a few years at Wilmer Hale before that. And I'll pass it to Chris. Hi, everyone. Um, I think I know maybe half or a third of you. I've been to a number of the forum's events, but this is my first open meeting. Um, so, so hi, I am at Morgan Lewis in their finance practice. And, uh, I will pass it on to Frank. Hi, I'm, I'm Frank Moran. Um, I spent uh, uh, tw a little over 20 years on active duty with the Air Force JAG department. Uh, then I went on to uh, become executive director of the Boston Bar Association for 13 years. Uh, worked very closely with some of my friends like John Jack Reagan and Mark Fitzgerald over the years. And I'm very happy to see um, a committee of this nature associated with the Boston Bar Association. Um, after uh, BBA, I went on to become legal counsel to the Chief Justice of the SJC, Margaret Marshall, and am trying to be retired. <laughs> and I will pass it on to, let's see, who, Josh. I am Josh, Josh Carroll. I, um, I'm a corporate associate at Ropes and Gray, um, yeah. Air Force veteran and, and a reservist, part-time reservist. Um, this is one of my first meetings, um, so I don't know anyone here, they don't know me, but uh, happy to be here and happy to um, uh, to learn from you. Welcome, Josh. Um, who wants to, uh, Nick, do you want sure. to? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Nick Hassenfuss. Uh, I'm an associate at Holland and Knight. Um, I'm also the chair of Holland and Knight's firm wide um, uh, veterans group where I manage our military and veteran pro bono work. Um, I'm also a Marine Corps veteran and uh, I'm happy to be here. And I seeing a lot of familiar faces. 
Harvey? Uh, yes, hi, uh, I'm Harvey Weiner. I'm senior counselor at Peabody and Arnold. I'm the immediate past national commander of the Jewish war veterans, and I'm the national liaison officer of that organization. Uh, and as such, on Monday, I am meeting virtually with the Biden-Harris transition team on defense, where I will, uh, their defense transition team, where I have uh, many things to uh, say to them in the hopes that this particular uh, Secretary of Veterans Affairs and the VA will have the uh, interests of the veterans first rather than the interests of the administration. And you're gonna have to pass it on to someone else. I've lost track. <laughs> Totally fine. Well, what an opportunity, Harvey. Great that you're uh, you're going to be heard. Um, Jeffrey? Yes. Hi, everyone. Uh, Jeff Collins. I'm a Navy reservist uh, coming up uh, in April on my 20th year of service. So uh, a magical date for me. Um, <clears throat> on the civilian side, I'm the Deputy Chief of the Trial Division in the Government Bureau at the Office of the Attorney General. Uh, and I've been on the committee now for a couple of years and glad to be back. Fantastic, thanks. Um, Michael, I think, also hasn't gone. Yep, I'm here, I'm, uh, I'm driving, which is why I, I took the camera off. Um, but my, my name is Mike Pollack. Um, I am a, a prosecutor with the Norfolk DA's office. Uh, and, uh, and I'm also a judge advocate in the Army National Guard here in Massachusetts. Um, I recently reached out to Dana and Mark and wanted to get involved. And this is my first event with the forum. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting more involved and listening to this. And then hopefully when things get back to normal, meeting everybody in person. Great. Thanks for joining us. And I think, Louis, you might be the last person. How's it going, everybody? Uh, Louis Capiccio. I am a major in the Army Reserve. I'm actually on a virtual drill weekend as we speak, which is why my camera's not on. Um, so I am the 804th Medical Brigade Judge Advocate, and on the civilian side, I am a labor counsel with the City of Boston um, and a former colleague of our friend Jason Thomas, and happy to be here. Yes, and I forgot that Jason has not introduced himself yet. So Jason, you can, you can round it out, um, though we'll get to learn a lot more about you later. Yeah, so I am uh, in my civilian job. I'm the veteran program coordinator for the trial court. So I try to do all things veteran within the trial court, uh, you know, create programs if they don't exist, uh, set up new veteran treatment courts. Uh, during my tenure, we've set up uh, the newest one is down in Brockton, Massachusetts, which I'll be talking about a little bit today. Uh, prior to uh, getting this job in 2018, I was a staff attorney for CPCS since 2002. So my uh, main experience is being a criminal defense attorney where I handled cases in the superior court, uh, tried dozens and dozens of cases to verdict. Um, I am also in my other life though, an army reservist. I am a major. I joined the reserves later in life. I'd been a lawyer for five years. So I um, joined in 2007 and I mobilized a lot. I was on active duty for seven and a half of the 13 years that I've been in the reserves. They sent me to Iraq for 16 months where I was a defense attorney. I was at Hood for a year as a defense attorney. I was at Bragg for two years as a defense attorney. Uh, Lou was there uh, with me. Uh, we represented Bo Bergdahl. We were the, the trial uh, defense team during his trial. Um, I have been all over. I was med board counsel at Fort Carson uh, for a period of time. So I'm very uh, involved in uh, uh, VA claims, VA disability claims. And I've done a term as uh, operational law for the 4th Infantry Division. Uh, in my reserve capacity right now, I am the OIC legal assistance for the 3rd LOD, which is the legal organizational detachment in Brockton, Massachusetts, where uh, we handle legal assistance. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. And uh, I'll give a couple other shout outs. I haven't met a lot of you. It's great to meet you. I hope that this is the start of a, a good relationship because my job is not only to you know go out, do outreach, talk to people, it's to uh, find out what your needs are and go back to the court and make effective change. Uh, Chief Justice Carey is very interested in veteran issues. She wants us to do everything that we can to make sure they're getting the services that they're entitled to. So uh, if you're have, ever having an issue uh, with the courts, reach out to me. 
and I will try to make change from within the organization. Um, as I said, I worked with Lou. Lou uh, and I worked together on active duty for a year, and now we uh, uh, we talk every now and then. He's labor counsel for the mayor, so whenever there's a labor issue, I call Lou. Uh, and I see Chris, Chris Melendez, him and his team came down to help us on Bergdahl for uh, a couple of the motions. So Chris, it's been a couple of years, man. It's been, uh, yeah. been about five oh, years good now. Good to see you again. So uh, as the Bergdahl appeal tumbles along, uh, which I have nothing to do with, I'm a trial lawyer. I'm not an appellate lawyer. So that's who I am. That's, uh, that's my intro. Perfect. Well, thank you. Um, I can't wait for your presentation. So maybe we should try to get through the rest of our business uh, and then turn it over to Jason. Um, Doug and Ariana. Go ahead, took me, Doug. Took me a second there to find the unmute button. Um, you'd think this is my second or third time. It, it's It's been many. Um, thank you all for coming. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, I can tackle a couple of the first couple items on the agenda quickly. Um, as for the military and veterans mentoring program, we have 22 matches. Um, I did distribute a survey out to the people who have been on the mentee side. If you haven't taken that survey yet, it would be great uh, if you could send along your thoughts. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. And also if you or someone you know would be interested in being involved in the program either as a mentor or a mentee, um, please don't hesitate to reach out to me as well. Um, and I can put my contact information in the chat. Um, and I'll jump in quickly to item number two on the military legal helpline. Since our last meeting, which took place on November 12th, uh, we've had five people who've been helped by the hotline. Um, I was told for context that calls to our lawyer referral service in general have been down slightly, um, just with the holidays, um, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and everything else that's happened since then. Um, so just for context, I figured I would add that. Um, please let me know if there are any questions on that. Thank you. All right, thanks, Doug. Is there anything under BBA updates? That exhausts it for me. Um, I'll defer to Ariana if she has anything, but that was what I had to share. Nope, I'm ready to move on so we can get to Jason. I'm very excited. Um, all right, well, I will um, perhaps quickly go through our other uh, the agenda item number four about upcoming programs because we do have some exciting things out of um, the uh, Public Service and Pro Bono Committee. Um, Angie and Maitai have been doing a lot to organize a bunch of different programs coming up. Um, the first one is on January 28th at noon. We have a um, joint program with the family law section on titled What Every Family Law Lawyer Needs to Know About Veterans and Service Members. Um, so it's a, a program, as we've discussed at prior meetings, um, that is pitched at current family law attorneys trying to increase their knowledge of the specific legal issues that face veterans and service members who are dealing with family law issues, um, as well as to try to encourage many of them to get involved in pro bono efforts. Um, because it has been long one of the needs um, that we have identified through this committee and through partners that is that is unmet. Um, so that is um, our first program. Yeah, and, uh, and, and on that one in particular, Mike, I know when you and I spoke, um, you mentioned you were doing legal assistance in your reserve capacity and, and I, you said family law issues were things that kind of came up that you might need um, that, that would be helpful to have some some assistance on. So if if, if you're able to, I would encourage you to um, that January 28th meeting might be, might be helpful in that regard. Absolutely, I'll, I'll put that in my calendar. Thank you. Great, and we should be sending out registration information shortly. Um, we have an exciting lineup of people, um, including Judge Phelan of the Family Law Court. Um, then in um, February, Maitre, I don't know if, do we have an exact date for the program with the bankruptcy section? 
So we have four dates reserved and um, this will be a program talking about um, special protections that exist in the bankruptcy law um, for veterans and service members, as well as just some of the resources that are available and special considerations that we have um, if one is assisting a service member or veteran um, who's considering bankruptcy. Um, so we're still putting the full program together. We have four dates reserved. Um, we're finalizing our list of potential speakers. One of the things that we've realized is this has become an area where there are a few names that come up for everyone. Um, and those people seem to be the go-to people for everything. Um, so one of the things I was hoping I could use this group for today is to help us expand that pipeline and allow the Don Lastmans of the world to pass the baton to other practitioners um, in this area. So I'm going to put my email in the chat. And if anyone has ideas of um, additional people that we should be reaching out to as potential speakers um, who work in this area, in the bankruptcy area, and um, have worked with veterans in the past and work consistently with them and have had good experiences um, helping them in, through this process, please reach out to me um, because like I said, it's pretty clear from talking to the folks in the bankruptcy section who are working with us on this event that we all have the same list of two or three people. Um, so it's always good to expand the pipeline. Thank you. Thank you, Mike Tai. Um, Mike Tai, I assume you've been, you've been talking to Jessica as well. Correct. <laughs> For those who don't know, Jessica Youngbirds, our former co-chair here um, and uh, is now um, at the bankruptcy court. Um, well, great. And please do, um, if people know uh, folks, uh, send them my choice way. Um, and then uh, on, um, I'll actually skip down and say, looking ahead to out of the, Bono and Public Service Committee, um, we have our annual discharge upgrade training now scheduled for April 12th. Um, it will also, like everything this year, be a webinar. Um, and we're tentatively, tentatively planning to focus in on how to um, help veterans put forth a discharge upgrade argument that is focused on post-service conduct and clemency under new guidance that was issued out of the Department of Defense that allows discharge upgrades on the basis of post, good post-service conduct. Um, uh, so there'll be a lot more information about that coming out in the next couple months. Uh, Mark, do you wanna handle the other uh, items? Sure, uh, so we have um, our, our, and this kind of goes into what our, our next couple of meetings are. Um, uh, Chris is our, our guest speaker for our February 11th. I've heard great things about Chris, so <laughs> good to see you on on. Uh, but uh, so then um, there's uh, we'll send out. I, I don't know, Doug, if you've already sent out uh, RSVP links for that, but we'll we'll uh, we'll be sending that information out um, shortly if it if it hasn't already gone out. Um, um, our uh, the the way we we have uh, for those new to this uh, forum. We, we tend to have on opposite months, we'll have an open meeting like this where we go through kind of um, uh, the business of the forum. Uh, and then uh, the other months, alternative months are more, um, they were kind of networking lunches when we were getting together at the BBA. Um, uh, we've, in this virtual environment, um, are combining some, some Time to get together and network with uh, guest speakers. Uh, so next month, February will be a, um, uh, a guest speaker luncheon, and the following one will be just like this in March. Although um, we've we've now kind of changed in this virtual format, um, have these open meetings where we also include um, time for uh, for for an update speaker. Uh, so uh, in uh, in March. Um, we'll have we'll have a guest speaker from veterans uh, from the uh, uh, Massachusetts AG's office, um, and uh, and this this time we're pleased to have Jason with us. Um, I think that kind of covers. We we also kind of have at these meetings we we had subcommittee meetings and reports and, and breakouts. I think we've kind of covered a lot of that already in the in the earlier part of this call. 
And I do have one question since I see um, Luce Capicchio on here. Any relationship to Paul by any chance? Yes, a uh, second cousin, unfortunately. Oh, okay. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. He was. Uh, he and I were uh, were associates together uh, in, in our first first year, first couple of years of law before he went to the city council. Excellent. I just talked to him the other day. He's uh, he actually just recovered from COVID, unfortunately, but he's oh, doing. Good. Okay. Well, if you next time you talk to him, tell him I said hi. We'll Um, so before we turn the floor over to Jason, is there um, anything else that folks wanted to bring to the forum, upcoming events, things that we should be aware of? I know that uh, this is Nick. I know that the last forum meeting we had, I was talking about um, like our nationwide event where we were reaching out to military and veteran law school students. Um, I just wanted to give a quick update. Um, Hall and the Night hosted a panel um, that had uh, military and veteran attorneys speaking to veteran law school students, or some of those were still reservists and, and um, uh, guardsmen and women. We had uh, over 130 attendees from over 55 schools nationwide. So it was a, a pretty great turnout. Um, we're hoping to do it again next year and get uh, even more attendees in schools. That's awesome. Congratulations, Nick. Thank you. All right, I won't make us sit awkwardly on Zoom any longer. Um, we've all had enough of that. Uh, Jason, um, we are so, so thrilled that you were able to join us today so that we can learn a little bit more about um, what's going on in the trial courts and as well as your reserve unit and also um, what legal needs you are seeing among the populations that you work with. Um, certainly, I think our hope is that, you know, we, we are always interested in gathering information and figuring out what more we all could be doing as a forum or in our individual roles um, to help meet the needs of uh, the Commonwealth veterans. Um, and certainly also are interested in the partnership, as you mentioned, if, if there's ways that, um, and sh sharing what we know from our own roles uh, to, that you can bring it back to, to your organization. Oh, Jason, you're on mute. Thank you. That was, that was a solid start with a mute. Um, thank you for inviting me. This is great. I, uh, I really look forward to, to getting to know each of you a little bit more. more. Like I said, I know some of you. Uh, I do try to go around and, and we educate people uh, last month, Judge Clifford and I, who was the Veteran Treatment Court Judge in Brockton, we did a, a Zoom training for the Boston VA social workers and uh, told them how the court works. So we try to do a lot of outreach. We try to, you know, bring groups together because the biggest thing that I have found uh, throughout the couple of years that I've done this is there is just the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Uh, people don't know what resources are out there. They don't know who can help them. So really coordinating these people. Uh, seems to be a, a constant enduring mission. It's not like you can have one meeting, everyone gets on the same page and it's solved. You have to do what you, you are doing. So I really appreciate that there are groups like you out there that are doing this on your own, because I know, you know, when you're talking about government, um, it's, it's a constant battle. So thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is, is who our veterans are and our numbers. And uh, I'm gonna share my screen because I pulled a couple of uh, documents that I'd like to share. So let me know, can you see uh, my screen that says veteran population declines? Yes. Great. Yep. So 2020 was a census year. So we're about to get a lot more data. And obviously we are trying to do evidence-based practice. We're trying to you know, put our resources on target that, that matter most. So first thing we're trying to do is find out uh, where our veterans are, how effective we can be. Uh, our veteran numbers are dropping significantly. Our World War II generation, our Korean War generation, they're passing away. And as a byproduct of that, we're, we're really losing our bargaining power. Uh, and we're gonna lose our bargaining power as we move into the future because there are gonna be less and less veterans. That's why it's so important to make sure that there are people who are non-veterans 
are allied with us so that we can continue to, to make strides to protect veterans. Um, the numbers that, and this is from the census, um, this is from 2000 to 2018, our total veteran population dropped from 26 million down to 17, almost 18 million. Um, it's a great graphic that you can pull. It tells you the dispersion of where the veterans are uh, in the United States. Uh, the last time the census did uh, a state by state analysis looked like 2015. So I just pulled up Massachusetts. Can you see Massachusetts? Great. So you'll see the numbers are skewed a little because this is back from 2015. Here they're saying 21 million veterans are alive in the United States. And by the 2018 numbers, that's already dropped to 18. So I don't know if you've seen this graphic, uh, but it's got a lot of great information on it. Uh, it breaks it down based upon uh, what the United States population is and what we have in Massachusetts. Uh, as you can see a female population, we're a little bit lower than the national average or as of 2015. Uh, we know that our female veteran population is gonna increase significantly. I think the projection is gonna be 20% of the services will be female in the next decade uh, to decade and a half. Um, we do better at our unemployment rates. Um, but the main reason I wanted to show this slide is not only the dispersion of where the veterans are here in Massachusetts, but also at the bottom, see our age distribution. As of the numbers of 2015, more than 50% of our veterans here in Massachusetts were over the age of 65. I assume that when we get our numbers, and I think the census is gonna release its numbers in March, that's when they traditionally release their numbers, we're gonna find that our veteran population has decreased significantly. Um, so again, it's, it's uh, a point that I always like to make just because um, there's always a fight for resources. There's always a fight for who's the loudest person saying we need resources, we need resources. So we can't, we can't forget that our numbers are declining. Uh, Massachusetts has taken, uh, I think, significant strides in the past couple of years. In 2016, uh, they added veterans as a protected class for anti-discrimination purposes. Uh, I think they amended 151B back in 2016 to add that. Uh, we've obviously seen the changes in the BRAVE Act and the Valor Act uh, have allowed diversions within the courts. And we've stood up our veteran treatment courts in Massachusetts, uh, starting with the first one in Norfolk County in Dedham, Massachusetts in 2013, 2014, to our newest one in Brockton uh, back in 2019. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll have enough funding to uh, open up more courts uh, and have more diverse courts. And I'll, I'll talk about the diversity of, of veteran treatment courts uh, today as well. Um, I also wanted to talk about uh, the opioid epidemic and our overdose deaths. Uh, these numbers are shocking and they're gonna get worse. Uh, over um, the past year, so other than a small decline in 2018, overdose fatalities increased dramatically over the past three decades. The record uh, for deaths for opioid overdoses in 2019 was 71,966. That's a number from the CDC. Uh, for the 12 months ending in May, uh, so these stats just came out, more than 81 people died from overdose. So 2019 was a banner year, and that was in May, right at the beginning of COVID. So I assume the numbers from May to May, from 20 to 21, are gonna just be mind blowing. Because um, unfortunately, people have been left alone, their uh, mental health has declined, and we've also given people a lot of money. You know, When we gave them that check, uh, we lost track of a lot of our probationers. We lost track of a lot of people that were being monitored by the court because you're just handing people cash and then they were going out and, and they were using. Um, our overdose uh, deaths are up in the trial court. We do track that when, when a, a probationer uh, passes away. And um, the numbers are gonna be catastrophic. It's just as simple as that. It's, it's, it's bad news. Uh, the only good thing that I think that we can try to, to make out of it is to show that when we're not in a pandemic, when we're functioning properly, when we're supervising people properly and getting them the resources they need, we are effective. You know, the courts do work, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's, a constant, it's a constant battle. Not only numbers for opioid deaths have gone up, but uh, this has been the deadliest year in US history uh, for deaths. 
So it looks like we're going to top 3 million deaths this year. Normally, I think it's like 2.8 was, was the average for the previous year. So we're on uh, pace to have 3.2 million deaths. So that's um, about 400,000 more than we had in 2019. And that's attributable, attributable to not only the opioid deaths, not only the uh, COVID deaths, but also people um, committing suicide and people not getting proper medical care because they're afraid to go to medical institutions because of COVID. Um, so I'd like to now get away from those depressing numbers and depressing facts and uh, talk about our veteran treatment courts. Talk about what we've done here in Massachusetts uh, over the years, starting in 2013 with these, these courts to try to solve the problem of veteran incarceration. Um, the first specialty courts were created in 2000 uh, down in Florida. That's when the first uh, drug courts and problem solving courts began. Uh, the first veteran treatment court in the nation was opened in 2009 out in Buffalo, New York. And since that opening in 2009, just you know, uh, 11, 12 years ago, the veteran treatment courts have exploded across the United States. Uh, Massachusetts obviously opened up our first one in 2013, 2014. Uh, it was spearheaded by Judge Hogan Sullivan, uh, who still is the uh, head of specialty courts uh, for the district court in Massachusetts. I uh, work with her a lot. You know, she she helps me, guides me, uh, you know, tells me uh, where to go and in how to how to get things done. Um, since we opened that first one, we've opened up six. Uh, soon after Dedham, uh, Boston opened. So Judge Senate has her session uh, at the Brook. Uh, Judge Fabry runs the session out in Framingham. Uh, Judge Gaffney, who uh, was an Army Reservist, he's retired now. He was in my JAG Corps unit, is up in Lawrence. Uh, we have Judge uh, Lori McLeod out in Western Massachusetts. And we have Judge Paula Clifford, who is down in uh, Brockton. I hope I didn't miss any. And currently in Dedham, it's Judge Byrne. So when Judge Hogan Sullivan retired from the bench, um, Judge Byrne took over the responsibilities of being the treatment court judge there. Um, and again, the, the purpose of these courts was at the time, we wanted to reduce the veteran population in the jails and prisons. We wanted to give them that, that last opportunity to be able to rehabilitate, to get better, to get programming so that we could not incarcerate them. Uh, we have been keeping numbers. We have been keeping track of statistics uh, and they trend positive. They do look good. Uh, we don't have enough data yet to be able to come out and say, oh, they're, they're, they, they work, they're perfect. Um, there is a national study that was done recently in 2018, um, but the national study is very interesting, and I can share that if, if people want to disseminate it. It essentially says that it does a meta-analysis of the veteran treatment courts throughout the United States, and the, the conclusions that they came were pretty much none of these courts follow the same model. Some of the veteran treatment courts are pre-trial. Some of them are post-trial. Some of them are for violent felonies in the superior courts. Some of them are in the district courts and every state does something a little different. Uh, for example, Maine has a veteran treatment court and they only do it for their superior court. Um, and here in Massachusetts, we do two models. Uh, Boston is our only pretrial model where the veterans uh, are not uh, arraigned and if they complete the program, their, their charge goes away. Uh, all the other five courts within the district courts those are post-trial sessions where um, you plead guilty, you're on a term of probation, and you go through the program, which is an 18 to 24-month program, where if you complete it and successfully get through it, you quote-unquote graduate from the program, and then your probation is, is over. Uh, if you have not had the opportunity to go to one of these graduation ceremonies, I would highly recommend it. Um, they're amazing. They're, they're very uplifting. They're very... Uh, you can see the transformation that occurs in these people's lives uh, in, in seeing them at the various stages too. When they come in at stage one, they're, they're having problems. You know, most of them have co-occurring disorders. Uh, so they're suffering from mental health issues. They're also suffering from substance abuse, uh, alcohol abuse. And what we do is we, we get them in the program and, and get them to services. We service both VA eligible individuals as well as non-VA eligible. Uh, so the team is made up of obviously the judge, uh, our probation officers, a prosecutor, a defense attorney, 
most of the courts have a, a police liaison that's a part of the team. Uh, and as far as clinicians, if you are VA eligible, if you have VA eligible services, all of our veteran treatment courts have a VJO, the Veteran Justice Outreach Social Worker that does the workup that links that person up with services within the VA. If you are not VA eligible, which means you got bad paper, um, you got an OTH, uh, there's not an exception to get you into the VA. Uh, we do have, I think we had some people with BCDs. We don't have anybody that got dishonorable discharges in our programs. But if you don't meet the criteria for VA eligibility, the trial court does have clinicians. We uh, pay for clinicians for all of our treatment courts, our drug treatment courts, our family treatment courts, our veteran treatment courts, where they do the workup because the VA can't touch them. Uh, by law, by statute, the VA is not allowed to do the workup and do the services because the person's not VA eligible. So Massachusetts um, decided that there are people that might've gotten discharges that aren't general or uh, honorable, uh, but they still deserve services, um, which I think is a great thing. And that, that's been going on for years and long before my tenure. And I'll take a little bit of a detour and say, you know, when I was on active duty and I was trial defense, when I was trial defense in Iraq and I was trial defense at Fort Hood and representing all these soldiers, I've done lots and lots of these separation boards. Uh, I want to say I've done probably more than 100 of these separation boards. Most of them were for drug use, people popping out for marijuana. And when I was at Hood, there were, there were so many brigades that you would get all these different results. If, if I had a guy that popped out for marijuana and I was over in an armor unit, if I was at the, the, the third armor Corps, then they wanted to hammer the guy. They wanted to make an example of him. And this is going back a decade. This is going back to uh, 20, uh, 2010, 2011. That guy was getting an other than honorable. And it was tragic because it was somebody that had multiple deployments, was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. But back then, they didn't care. They wanted them out of their army and they wanted to show the rest of the people in the unit, this will not be tolerated. There's no reason why that person should be denied. Should they get in trouble and fall into our court system being that denied getting into our veteran treatment court because they're not VA eligible. So thank goodness our, our, our system had the, had the knowledge to make room for those people because you have to look at a case by case basis. Uh, I don't think it's fair just to say somebody else made a decision as to what the characterization of service this person should have. Therefore, we're going to adopt it. Um, no, we do our own independent analysis. And um, there were other people at, at Hood that if you were in a medical unit and they were a dentist's assistant, I could get them an honorable or I could get them a general. So it's, it's really the equity of it is doesn't exist. Uh, so Luckily, we had the foresight to do that. Um, so let me talk about uh, the rest of the team in the veteran treatment courts. So a, a big component of the courts are our mentors. So uh, veteran treatment court uh, is kind of unique because we have veteran mentors that come in and we link them up with the participants. It's kind of like a one-on-one a, a -on -one, uh aid, you know, a peer, somebody to talk to when, when things aren't going well, um, which is extremely helpful because if somebody's on probation and they're stumbling or they're having an issue or they're thinking about having a drink, it's really hard to go to your probation officer. It's really hard to, you know, open up, especially in a court forum. So these uh, volunteers, these mentors that come in and we link up with each individual that's, that's in the court, um, really save the day sometimes. Uh, they keep them on track. Uh, Pre-COVID, they'd be able to go and get a coffee with them. Uh, they'd be able to check in with them from time to time and see what the problems were. Uh, also, in many ways, they're able to act as a back channel sometimes. If an issue can be identified and you can kind of say, hey, this person's struggling uh, because of an anniversary, because there was a, a you know, a, a combat death or a friend that was lost or the day that their spouse cheated on them, like that was going to be a tough week and you're not usually disclosing those to, to the probation and the judge, but it's really a way for a mentor to become involved in their life. Uh, and it's the connection that really, I think is the, is the thing that helps in our veteran treatment courts. 
Um, I would give a pitch right now also that prior to COVID, I was going all over the place trying to find mentors for our newest court. Uh, I was going to the VFW, I was going to the American Legion, I was going to the various nonprofit organizations. One thing that you could all do to help me is if anyone knows organizations within the Brockton area where people wanna volunteer uh, to be mentors, um, we're looking for them. We're looking for people to help out. Uh, you don't have to be a veteran, but obviously it, it helps. Uh, and if you are a veteran, you don't have to be a veteran in recovery, but a lot of our, our mentors are. A lot of our mentors have struggled with issues in the past. Um, there's not equality in mentors either. In Western Massachusetts, we have probably our largest and most vibrant uh, mentor group uh, anywhere else in Massachusetts. There's about 15 uh, gentlemen. They are all uh, Vietnam era uh, veterans. Uh, so they're all retired. They all show up to every single session, uh, every single Wednesday. And it's amazing. It's amazing to see them work. Uh, they have their own meetings before court. Uh, they check in with their guys all the time. Um, and it's funny, during the winter, because a lot of them are retired, they're snowbirds. So they'll go down to their houses in Florida. Uh, so normally in non-COVID times, they would say, going to be gone for three months, but I'll be back. Uh, now they've been able to stay in touch and remain a part of the court because of Zoom. Um, the transformation of, of uh, COVID operations to moving our sessions online um, has been a good thing and a bad thing. It's been a good thing that you can remain connected in a way that, that wasn't possible uh, before COVID. Um, in a bad way, you lose the, the human connection a little bit. You know, you lose that touch. You lose that, that being in person, that gathering, which is clearly very important um, to, to human beings and human development. Um, on a positive, I'm hoping that once we get vaccinated and once we get back, there's going to be a large group of people that want to come volunteer. There's going to be a large group of people that have been cooped up in their houses that, that if saying to themselves, you know what, maybe I can go and help out a little bit more. But it's not for everyone. Um, you know, a lot of people don't want to deal with veterans who have uh, gotten into trouble or engaged in some sort of misconduct, uh, which I get, which is fine. You know, we're, we're looking for people that, that want to be involved. Um, so let me see. Some of the biggest issues that we've had, obviously, is people being in touch. Um, but they've done a great job. Um, I will jump into diversion. I want to talk about a gap that I've identified in the diversion uh, system. So obviously, veteran treatment court and diversion, a lot of people mix that up. We spend a lot of time explaining to people that uh, veteran treatment court, other than Boston, really isn't a diversionary program. You're pleading guilty, you're on probation, you are going to end up with a conviction, but your life is going to be better if you can make it through the program where you're hopefully going to have a job, you're going to have uh, linked up with education, housing, all, all those things. Um, for diversion, this is for the first offenders, the people that, you know, haven't really had contact with the court. Maybe they're beginning to show signs of difficulties. Maybe they are drinking too much. Maybe they are using recreational drugs, but they've been coping. They've been able to go to their job. They've been able to function. They're, the, the, you know, the quote unquote functioning alcoholic, but they are on the edge. Um, those people, you know, we, we try to divert and the diversion laws have been a mishmash over the past couple of years. Obviously it started initially with the Valor Act. Uh, then after a few years of the Valor Act, which got bad press because it was being used according to the globe in ways that they didn't think it should be used. There was debates and then they amended it through the Brave Act. Uh, but also during that time was criminal justice reform. So this is where things get a little confusing. So prior to criminal justice reform in April of 2018, you could mainly only divert by statute juveniles. So the main thing that the diversion statute did was it opened up to, to adults. Um, so prior to that change, only veterans could get cases diverted for like assault and battery or OUI or domestics. After the change, then everyone could get their cases diverted for assault and battery. Uh, really, the only thing that remained, the only thing that was special for veterans after the amendment from Valor to Brave was first defense OUI. 
So the, 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 there are a couple of other offenses that are very obscure. The legislature said if you picketed a courthouse or if you uh, uh, interfered with a juror, those things could be diverted. So like those, those charges that are never charged can be diverted. And I think the legislature added those because those are court, um, court type offenses. So why not have the judge be able to divert court type offenses? So really the only offense that is a, a normal criminal offense would be o OUI first offense. Um, on top of court diversion though, uh, that, that the judge can be involved in, on July 13th, 2018, the district attorneys were required to establish pre-arraignment diversion programs, which should divert veterans or persons uh, who are in the active service should be diverted. And that program should be separate from the courts program. So all the district attorneys in Massachusetts should have stood up these programs. They should exist, they should be operating. Uh, and again, that law went into effect in July of 2018. So I'll be interested to see how well those programs are working. And if they're keeping numbers, you know, let me know how many people you've diverted uh, that didn't have to get to the step of coming in front of the judge for a judge mandated uh, diversion. Um, The, the, the gap that has been identified is a definition of who a veteran is. So obviously by state law, you're able to get your case diverted and you're able to get things done if you're a veteran or if you're actively serving. Um, if you get an OUI, then you can have your case diverted if you are suffering from a certain enumerated uh, mental issues. Uh, and it's very, it's very uh, broad. So if you're, if you're having depression or anxiety or you're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and there's a nexus to your service, then you can get your OUI diverted. In the diversion statute, in BRAVE, it specifically says you have to have an evaluation done. That evaluation has to be done by the VA or a veteran organization or somebody with special knowledge of veterans. So... When you go and look at the VA's definition of a veteran, they want somebody that's been on a continuous service, active service for more than 24 months, or like a, a reservist that's been mobilized and has completed their term of mobilization. So there's this gap where, and I'll give you the example, because we have a few of them now. I had a Marine, active duty Marine, went through basic training. He was stationed out on the West Coast and he was about at his 11th, 11th month mark being in the service, came home to Massachusetts for the holidays. Um, this was last year before COVID, uh, got intoxicated and was drinking and driving, got pulled over drinking and driving. So he was identified as a veteran, obviously he was on active duty and the attorney was, was knowledgeable and said, I need this, I need a continuance. I need a 30 day continuance to get an evaluation. And when they tried to go to the Veterans Administration, the VA wouldn't touch him because they said, he's not a veteran. He doesn't meet our criteria because he hasn't had 24 months of service. But the Commonwealth says, no, our statute says this person gets our, our diversionary um, uh, rights and privileges. So luckily we caught that one. Uh, this was a Marine who his, his family was connected enough to get a private lawyer who was knowledgeable enough to do the things that needed to be done. And we were able to get him set up with a, uh, a normal doc to do the evaluation that met the criteria that got the case diverted. My concern is I think that that's happening a lot more often and it's not being caught. And, you know, I try to do outreach to the public defenders, to the bar advocates, um, I, I have, did a training for the training unit for CPCS last year to let these lawyers know that are on the front lines, you got to be asking whether or not your client is a veteran or has a history of military service in the lockup, because you can avoid an arraignment, you can avoid a conviction. Um, and it's a constant, it's a constant battle. It's just education. It's getting the lawyers on the front lines to know that this is out there. Otherwise, you're going to get arraigned. And then, you know, you're going to get in the system uh, when we have created these laws to try to avoid people from being in the system. Um, so that's, a, that's an interesting little gap that we've identified uh, because of the different definitions of who is and who isn't a veteran. 
All right. And finally, you know, I don't know how we're doing on time. I can give a brief overview of, you know, what we're doing in the reserves now and legal assistance. Um, how are we doing on time? Would, uh, I want to. We have about seven minutes left, but <clears throat> go for it. Okay. So just quickly, uh, I, I have drill this weekend and uh, we do uh, wills, powers of attorney, uh, uh, springing powers of attorney, living wills. Um, pretty much anything. If you have a legal assistance problem and you're a reservist, a national guardsman, active duty, or a 20 year retiree, we will provide you with services. Uh, they changed the reg. Uh, we don't do people who have, um, who are just medically retired. You have to have a 20 year uh, retirement and we will do your will. We will do your power of attorney. We'll do all your legal assistance needs. We're doing a lot of SRPs this year. Uh, I think once a month, I've been up to Devon's mobilizing units. We've had a lot of medical units being pushed out to fight COVID. Um, this week, I'm going to take care of a unit that's going overseas. Um, they're going out to a desert environment. And we, you know, have adjusted for COVID operations. What I do is I assigned a bunch of captains, clients. They do the wills uh, remotely. They prepare them then they send them to me. And I usually go with a small team where we print everything out and we execute them in person. And we're just doing that um, so that we can avoid contacts. Uh, we can have the minimum amount of contact for, for, for these people coming and going. Because you know, breaking your bubble, nobody likes to break your bubble. And we have these mobilizing units that are coming from all over. I got people coming from DC. I got people coming from Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, to Devon's where they ultimately do their initial training, then they get pushed to hood and then they get pushed out overseas. So um, that's what we've been doing there lately. If you ever have somebody who has a 20 year letter or is active or a reserve and needs legal assistance, we're here to help. And uh, I'm the OIC of legal assistance. So I'm the guy that you can call to help you out. Um, and I'll leave it there so we can have a time for some questions if anybody has questions. Um, I know this is a very sophisticated and knowledgeable group, so I hope, you know, me talking about some of these things wasn't too, uh, too uh, rudimentary, but uh, that's, that's the update I have for everybody. Well, great. Thank you so much, Jason. Um, I will take a, a um, address one question and then welcome others to jump in, but I'm curious um, about what civil legal needs you're seeing or what um, you're able to provide through the BTCs, um, especially as someone whose first client was actually a referral from the Norfolk Treatment Court uh, when I came to LSD. So. Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the civil needs are mainly custody issues. Um, obviously, if somebody's, you know, been arrested and they have a substance use or mental health uh, disorder and there's a child involved, it becomes that much more contentious. So people fighting over custody, uh, their cases running concurrently with their cases within the district courts, that's, that's probably the primary one. Um, the other issue every now and then, there's a spattering of, of housing issues. Uh, I can tell you, we do lean heavily on veteran legal services and, and you guys, uh, because that's, that those are the resources that we have as far as getting civil aid out there. Um, I think the governor was did put in the budget a lot more money to be spent on, on getting civil assistance to people that, that are in need. Um, but how that, how that money is doled out and how that is done, I'll, I'll be very curious to see. Uh, but that I can say in the veteran treatment courts, the number one is probate and family court custody issues and some housing issues, but we usually power through the housing issues pretty quickly because if you are um, VA eligible, and you meet the criteria, we can get the VASH and move people into, into housing. I'm very impressed with the, with the VA in their system. I, I had, prior to taking this job on, I was still at CPCS. I had a client that we had identified as a veteran, got him into the, the DOM. He was at the domiciliary for uh, like two months. Uh, then they moved him into a uh, uh, a medium, a medium term uh, shelter. And he got his VASH within four months. I was blown away. And we had him in stabilized housing where he was able to get an apartment. Uh, I don't know if others have had that same experience, uh, but that's, that's what I've seen. People that aren't VA eligible, that's a little more difficult because we're moving them through the normal system. Great. 
And I'd love to hear too. I know, you know, you want to ask me questions if anybody has seen hurdles or problems and, and where it is and how maybe I could, I could move the ball to help solve the problem. Um, I definitely haven't seen any, nothing like what you, you know, told us about today. Um, but, you know, I, I was curious, I mean, you mentioned, you know, a few opportunities where maybe us or our firms could, could help out. Yeah. Um, is that, are those referrals that come through other organizations or, or through the BJPBB or how, well, tell, how do we get involved if needed? Yeah. I'll t so the way Veteran Legal Services has done it, that they'll usually send an attorney every a month just to one of the sessions and the attorney will be there and they'll say to the participants, hey, if you have a civil legal issue, Veteran Legal Services is here. Why don't you go and talk to them and see if they can help you? Um, so that's really how we've been doing the referrals. Or alternatively, if somebody comes in and they don't yet have a VA disability claim, um, we'll refer them to the places where people help them do it. It's usually a VSO, so some of the VFW send them to the American Legion. Uh, if they're, we'll send them to uh, the clinic uh, over, over to see if they're eligible to get services from Harvard. Um, I know, um, where else do we send them? Um, there, have, there have been, out in Western Mass, one of the mentors is an attorney and he kind of acts as a referral service. So it really depends on your bandwidth as to where you want to go help. Uh, all the all the courts could use it. You know, I don't want to step on legal uh, veteran legal services toes, but they are normally in the Boston area. You know, they come out to Dedham, they're in Boston, but I think their bandwidth is such that they can't go up to Lawrence, they can't go to Western Mass. So wherever you have the capability of going, then it would be it would be mm -hmm. welcome. Yeah. But if you wanted to set up more more of a um, uh, a direct referral system or a pipeline. If you wanted to give an a la carte menu to say, this is where we're willing to help. This is how we can help. We can put that out there. We can tell the veterans, we can say, hey, if you're having issues with this particular legal issue, this is a number you can call. So however you want to do it, I'm, help, I'm happy to help coordinate that. Yeah, I, I want to think about it. I mean, maybe we do it through BLS. Maybe we do it through Harvard. Um, maybe there's some direct referral opportunities. Um, I can, you know, the hard hard thing about getting um, pro bono cases to big law attorneys is telling them, hey, we need you on this date, right? Like, right. block this off in your schedule. Right. Uh, there's not too many openings for some people. Um, but off the top of my head, I can think of a few guys here who might do really well in, in some of those cases and have done really well with, you know, for example, Chapter 115 programs. Um, so we, we may, you know, and they may be very interested and very happy if we can um, refer them to something high impact, uh, at least for an individual. So um, I want to keep that on my radar. And if you have, you know, materials, thoughts, just sort of ways that I can get my arms around what's, what's available, that'd be really great. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, we've had, I mean, there are, we've had some sad cases. We've had some heavy cases. I know there, we, there was a case in Norfolk where there, there, we had a guy in our court whose child had died because the child had found drugs in the house and ingested them and died. And, you know, he was being prosecuted, you know, for that. And then there was a custody issue. His other child was taken away from him. So there are some heavy cases uh, that we're dealing with in some of our courts um, that aren't just the run of the mill. Um, I want to get divorced. You're a horrible person. I want, I want full custody type of thing. So. Um, and Andy has put some information in the chat too about what how VLS is handling intakes right now. Um, so feel free to take a peek at that. Um, I know people may, some people have had to jump off and others may have to now. Um, so I don't know if anyone has one last question and obviously um, Jason, uh, uh, if it's okay, if some of us have suggestions or wanna set up follow-up calls uh, or if we would email you. Know, let me see if I can get the, the chat working because I'll give you my email and I'll give you my personal cell phone. Anyone, you know, I'd say, please don't hand out my personal cell phone to clients, but any attorney, you can give them my, my cell phone. I'm happy to talk. I'm obviously working from home. Um, we're still having a, a, a 
some issues in the courts. The brook was closed on Monday for cleaning. I got an email. Two other courthouses were closed for cleaning today that are being opened on Monday. And there's a big push to start jury trials next week. So we'll see how that goes. Also, I'm a bit late for my next meeting, but uh, Jason, I just wanted to thank you. That was incredibly informative for me. Uh, and uh, you made the comment, oh, you guys may know all this stuff, but but this was uh, this was really great for me because I, I had I didn't have any background. And I'm a uh, I was in the Air Force and Air Force Reserves combined for 30 years as a JAG. Um, did legal legal assistance and all of that, but the VTC is something is just a uh, you're doing great work, and it's something that I didn't. I, I wasn't aware of. So, so thank you. I appreciate that. And again, that's my cell and I'll verbally say it 518-852-4879. Again, that's 518-852-4879. Call me. And if you just want to talk about anything, I'm, I'm around. Well, thank you. And Dana can always find me. <laughs> You're very responsive on email. I can uh, I can attest to that. Um, but thank you so much, Jason. Mayor, so grateful that you took the time. And um, like Mark said, this is incredibly informative. So thank Happy you. To. Good luck, everybody. Good luck getting the vaccinations. Getting to the other side. Thanks, everyone. Thank you all. Enjoy your weekends. Hey, everyone. Everyone.